Welcome to Sandstone Community Church Online. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. It is a pleasure because we do know that God has brought you today to hear His Word, to be encouraged and led by Him uh, through the Scriptures as well. So we do pray that our time, your time with us will be profitable for you and it will also bring glory to His name as you become more like Jesus. And if that's your first time watching this uh, video from us, we do pray that you will be blessed and then if you want to touch base with us, feel free to contact us via Facebook or through any of the contact details in our homepage as well. Now let me pray before we start our service. Father, in Jesus' name, we want to thank you for the beautiful day, for your blessing and for your direction upon our lives. I want to pray for my brothers and sisters who are watching me at this very moment. May this uh, moment of praise, our adoration through songs and also through uh, hearing from you through the scriptures, may they be encouraged and empowered to live the life that Christ has prepared for them to live. So we pray a special blessing upon those who are watching us for the first time. May they also find a source of encouragement in the words that you've uh, spoken in the word. And we pray, Lord, that as we seek to honor your name, that you, Father, you would be glorified and that our lives would be transformed. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Thank you. Please be seated. All right. Keep your Bibles open in Ephesians chapter 3 from verse 14 and 21. That is the text for this morning. And we are now hitting a very crucial part of the book of Ephesians. So I invite you to really concentrate here because how you're going to watch what's going to unfold throughout the rest of the book will really depend on how you understand this particular section here. As I mentioned, Ephesians is a very foundational book for, for the Christian doctrine and teachings about Christ, the church, and Christian living. Especially because it highlights to us our identity, who we are in Christ, and how we are to live in light of that. But what I didn't tell you about is that Ephesians has a very particular, a very interesting division there. From verse 1 to verse 3, you've got the more the doctrines or the teachings about Jesus, about the church, and about who we are in Jesus and from verse 4, from chapter 4 all the way up to chapter 6, the end of it, we have the practical implications of that. It is as if the Apostle Paul dedicate, dedicated the, the, verse, the very first uh, chapters of the book just to introduce you, to remind you of a few things about the faith. And then the rest he's saying, and that's how you should live in light of that, what I just told you about. Now, this particular section that we just have in front of us now is a prayer. Is a prayer that's going to be the link between the two sections, the link between the theology and the practice. Not to say that theology is not practical. It's very practical as we have been applying all the theology that we've been reading, haven't I? So it's very practical. But Paul decides to breach the gap between the practical applications of what he has just taught with prayer. Prayer is the chosen method to breach the gap between theology and practice for Paul in this particular letter. Now the reason I believe he chooses to do that, and that will become quite evident as we go through the prayer, is because... He believes that Ephesians are weak Christians. And that's why I entitled my message, A Prayer for Weak Christians. Paul decides to implore to God, to ask God, to beg before God for a strength all the way throughout the prayer. Because what I believe what is going through Paul's mind is this. What's going to unfold out of this new identity and what's going to be able to, what they're going to be able to apply and to live it out is beyond their ability to do so. And if you've been living the Christian life for more than a day, you probably know that, right? You probably know that there is a very big chasm between acquiring knowledge, acquiring Christian knowledge and living the Christian faith. So my... My good news to you in a way here is the weak Christians that Paul is praying for in Ephesus. That's you and I. If you haven't got to that conclusion yet, you are a weak Christian. Hopefully you have. Just by looking at the mirror, you have got to that point to find out you are a weak Christian. But if you haven't, I'm breaking the news to you right now. 
You are a weak Christian. As a matter of fact, weakness and Christianity are fundamental. They go hand in hand. And Paul says that in the second letter to the Corinthians as well. When I am weak, then I am strong. So weakness is not necessarily a bad thing, but not realizing your weakness is a bad thing. And second, not having that weakness cause you to go to God is even more difficult to live the Christian life. So that's why Paul starts verse 14 and 15 by saying, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He starts with prayer because he needs something to be able to help those Christians to apply what they just learned. Now, what does Paul pray for when it comes to asking? What, what is he asking to help Christians to live the Christian life? And especially when things get tough, because remember Paul was just saying that he was in prison before. So he knew that the Ephesians could be discouraged because this guy who is literally the one we look up to when we want to understand the Christian faith, this guy is in jail. He's suffering. How come he's now writing to us saying that we are blessed with every single blessing in the heavenly realms? So those guys are, that's stuff for them. It's stuff for Paul. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I've just told you a few things, but guess what? Now I'm going to pray for you so that everything that I just told you, it's not just going to be stuck in your brain. It will actually go down into your heart and will go out into the, your life. What does he pray for? What is Paul praying? What, what miracle prayer is that that is able to strengthen weak Christians? Now, I believe in this prayer, we've got basically two things, okay? We've got one petition, so Paul is asking for something. And we've got one praise point. So Paul is praising God for something. This is the Now, the petition that he has, he breaks up into two. So he, he's asking for two things, but they're, we're going to see they're not actually different things. They are the same things, but he prays through two different angles there. And as he's praying, he's adding a few things here and there, depending on the angle which he is praying. So let's, let's talk about the petition first. And the first petition that he prays is a petition for strength that comes through the power of the Spirit in Christ's likeness. Paul is saying, if you want to bridge the gap between head knowledge and Christian living, you need the strength that comes through the power of the Spirit in Christ's likeness. Have a look what he says in verse 16 and 17, the, the first part of verse 17. So he's bowing his knees before the Father, trusting that he's the one who's got authority over everything and everyone. That's why um, he says that from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And then he asks that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant to you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now here you've got two, two sort of sentences here, but they're not two separate happenings, okay? And that's what I want to highlight it for you. So strengthening through the power of the Spirit... And the dwelling of, the, of Christ in the heart are not two separate things. 
So when Paul is praying, he's saying this. I want you to be granted to, to, to receive strength with power through the Spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But you may be inclined to think like this. First comes the Holy Spirit. And then He strengthens your heart in the power in your inner being. And then Christ looks and says, Oh, okay, the heart is strengthened. Now I'm going to dwell in the heart through faith. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Those two things happen at the same time. While the Holy Spirit is strengthening you with His power, that means that He's enthroning Christ in your heart. Does that make sense? That's, the, that's how He does it. The strength for Christian living comes through the Holy Spirit impressing Christ into your heart and putting Him in the central spot that He deserves. Paul is asking for the strengthening of God's people through the powerful work of the Spirit enthroning Jesus in the hearts of Christians. Now you might be questioning, you might be questioning, but Jesus is already in my heart. What does that mean? Because Paul is praying for Christians here, isn't it? So why is he praying for Jesus to dwell in the hearts of Christians? Isn't Jesus already there? Now it's important to say that this is not the dwelling of salvation that we're talking about. Paul is not saying that you need to welcome Christ in your heart. He's talking about the daily grind of life where you are faced with decisions where you choose to either enthrone Christ in your heart for that decision or not to enthrone Christ in your heart for that decision so this dwelling he's talking about is the dwelling that happens as we choose to trust Jesus in our everyday life because that especially the word dwell here is a permanent dwelling he's talking about your heart being shaped in Christ's likeness. So that's why he says, if, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, is as you decide to trust in Jesus on the daily things that happen around you, that is precisely what the Spirit is working in power inside of you. So it's amazing to see that one of the things that Paul is saying to Christians right here is if you want to be a Christian who, who has had knowledge as well as a life and a heart for God, you need the power of the Spirit to work in you in those daily decisions. In those daily Things. That's how Christ makes His dwelling inside of your heart. There's no magic formula here. It's not you become a Christian and all of a sudden, boom, your heart's completely transformed. Paul is saying, the Spirit needs to do this powerful work of shaping your every decision. And for that, Paul prays. See, he's delivering intellectual information to you, to the church here. But in order to do that, He's saying, I need to pray. I need to pray. Let's not forget, this is a prayer. This is not a writing of doctrine alone. He's actually praying for them and he's writing down his prayer. Paul prayed. 
And here's what I want to encourage you to know. If you want to see that happening in your heart, you've got to pray. That's also a warning for me as a shepherd to pray for you. Because see, that's what Paul is doing for his flock. He's praying. So much of a life of a pastor should be prayer for his people. But Paul is encouraging also the Christians over there to pray for that. And here is my, in the Christian life, you are only as strong as your prayer life. To walk that Christian walk, to have that, that Christ-likeness impressed into your heart through the power of the Spirit, bringing forth that new life, you can only achieve that strength through prayer. There is no other way. So what I'm saying here is, if you do not have time in your routine for prayer, you are living a weak Christian life. Because even though we're all weak Christians, we receive that strength of the Spirit working those things in our hearts through prayer. That's why I say you are only strong as your prayer life when it comes to your Christian life. Because here is the reality. You cannot change yourself. You probably know that if you lived more than a year on earth. Because you probably try to change a few things about yourself. And you know, I'm hopeless. I stand in the mirror and look at myself. I'm hopeless. I cannot change my life. You cannot change yourself. That's what Paul is saying here. It's a, it's, a, it's a mighty work of the Spirit happening in the heart. It's not a mighty work of will. That's why you beg before God. Because you look at yourself and you see yourself out of resources. And you beg before Him for the strength to do what only He can do. So that's why he starts with a petition for strength to come through the power of the Spirit in Christ-likeness. If you want to bridge that gap between knowledge and practice, if you want to see more of the Spirit, more of fruit of the Christian living in your life, if you want to stop grumbling, if you want to stop lusting, if you want to stop stealing, if you want to stop all those things, you need to pray. There's no way around it. Because you have the knowledge that those things are wrong. You have the knowledge that God wants to change you. Why that doesn't happen? And Paul is saying, prayer. And then a second petition, which is indeed the same, but through a different angle now, but has something very important in it, is a petition for the strength required to be a recipient of the fullness of God found in experiencing His love. A petition for the strength required to be a recipient of the fullness of God found in experiencing His love. Second verse, second half of verse 17, 18 and 19 says this. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And here again, we don't have two separate things. It's not as if 
you're grounded and rooted in love and then you're comprehending the height and the breadth and, and the surpassing knowledge of the love of God. It's not that as you have all of that and then you are filled with the fullness of God. It's not that. It's the same thing. It's as, as you comprehend, as you know the, Christ, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you are being filled with the fullness of God. The two are one. Those things happen at the same time. They are not separate. And indeed, they are very similar to the first one. If you look at it, they are very, very, very similar. Here, Paul is asking for the strength, the power of the Spirit in the inner being, so that Christ may dwell, right? So that those things, Spirit working, His power in your being, and then Christ is increasing His imprint in your heart. Now, here is very similar as well. Paul is praying for the strength, but now he's not praying for the strength of the Spirit, the, the power of the Spirit precisely. He goes to a different angle. He's talking about comprehending love experiencing love and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge but the results is quite similar have a look Christ dwelling in the heart for the first one but for the second one you are filled with the fullness of God being full with the fullness of God and having Christ dwelling in your heart that's the same thing Paul is praying for the same thing the two petitions are the same through the different angle so what's the link there I believe that Romans 5 5 is the link because in that, Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. So the power of the Spirit strengthening you in your inner being, so that experience, and the experience of knowing the surpassing, the, the love of God that surpasses knowledge, are one work of the Spirit within you. That's all the same thing. And thrown in Christ in your heart, experience the love of God. All of that is, they are, they are all one thing. But there is one key information that's added and that changes everything that's very important. And the key information is that there is an experiential tone added to this. When I was doing my preparation for this message, I came across this little... Uh, um, phrase, just a, a um, section of a commentary that I thought was very helpful. It's like, I can't summarize it better than this guy. I've just quoted him. So, um, that's Peter T. O'Brien in his uh, the letter to the Ephesians. He says this, Furthermore, their grasping, which is uh, translated by knowing in the ESV, so their knowing, they knowing this, cannot be simply a mental exercise, please. It's a personal knowledge, and although it undoubtedly includes insight into the significance of God's love and the plan of redemption, it cannot be reduced simply to intellectual reflection. Paul wants them to be empowered so as to grasp the dimensions of the love in their own experience. And here is something that literally changes the whole time of everything. What Paul is saying here is this. Paul is saying that this whole experience of strengthening that the Spirit does by enthroning Christ in our hearts and by helping us 
see that Christ is central and that he has to be first and foremost. And the experience of the love of God, they are one, but they have to be experienced. When Paul says that you must know the love of God that surpasses knowledge, he's not talking about an intellectual one. He's talking about a love that you actually feel. And then he says, because that's why, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Is he talking about intellect? He's not talking about intellect here. He's talking about something that will cause you to be filled with the fullness of God. So that cannot be related to knowledge. He's not talking about knowing everything that God knows. He's talking about a knowledge that changes your heart in such a way that you live a different life forever. That's all to say here. If you want to bridge the gap between knowing the things of faith and walking Christ, what Paul is saying is an intellectual faith is not enough. Knowing facts, knowing doctrines, knowing the teaching is not enough. You have to feel the love of God. You have to. You have to. In your walk with God, if you never felt loved by God, one day there is something wrong. The balance between the intellect and the heart and the Christian faith has to be kept central. Knowing and feeling go together with the Christian faith. And the sooner you emphasize one over the other, you lose the point of the Christian life. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you're not going to be able to... to that, you know why you fail in living your Christian life? It's either because you don't know what God's done for you, but if you do know, that's just mere intellect. Just, just in your head. You know. But when you wake up in the morning, that doesn't move your heart. And that's precisely why I believe in the letter to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation. Their problem, because you know, Jesus, a few, a few years further down the track, Jesus writes them a letter, not Paul anymore, even though when Paul writes, Jesus is writing through them. But now Jesus himself, through the Apostle John, is writing a letter and speaking to the Ephesians. And he says, you guys are doing great. Your intellect, fantastic. Your doctrine, I cannot commend you more. But you forgot your first love. And guess what? You might as well lose everything. You don't, your heart, you don't love me as you used to love. And I believe their love grew cold because their experience of the love of God grew cold as they became more an intellectual faith. By no means, I'm not saying intellectual faith is wrong. I read lots of commentaries and things to prepare this message. To understand your Bible, to know the scriptures, those things are important and they're fundamental for the faith. But they are not a fundamental thing alone. Christian life is to be experienced as well. In order to survive the daily grind of the Christian life, a deep intellectual and experiential knowledge of the love of God is required. Both. Both of them. If you don't experience God in your life, in your walk, 
let me tell you this. You will at some point walk away from the faith. It will happen. It cannot be just intellect. And it cannot just be feelings. It has to be both. And he closes by saying this. He closes with a word of praise. A word of praise to God for His infinite strength available to His people. And here's the great news. Have a look at what he says in verse 20 and 21. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's what we call a doxology. The word doxa means glory and logos, doxologia, means a word, so a word ascribing glory to God. That's what he's doing. Paul is saying this, to him be glory. His glo he's stopping his petition. He's asked and then he's, he stopped that and he starts to ascribe glory to God. And the reason for the glory he's ascribing because he sees in God an infinite strength. An infinite ability to act, especially in his people's lives. Do you see that? As he ascribes glory in verse 21, he does that because he's looking at him and saying, he's infinitely able, he's infinitely powerful, he's got infinite strength available when it comes to his people's requests. It is as if this is happening here. Paul is bowing his knees, he's lifting up. He's lifting his eyes up to petition, to ask God, to seek God. And as he's pouring out his request before him, he sees God. And then all of a sudden, his spiritual eyes are completely captured by the supremacy of God. So he breaks out in praise. Praise in your prayers are not something you have to do. For Paul, as he, as he was aware of his needs, as, as he was presenting his needs before God, he, was, he wasn't focused on his needs. He was focused on God's ability, unmatched ability to fulfill all his needs. And he was just, pray, praise was natural. He was just breaking out and saying, God, you are, you're, you, you are able to do far more abundantly. Than what I'm asking. Even, even I'm thinking, if you do a mental exercise, you cannot, you cannot think about something that God cannot do. Can you believe that? That's what he's saying here. That means that praise is important in your prayers because it is a sign that you have things in perspective. When you're praying for those deep things, those deep difficult things, those things that you look at and say, whoa, this is terrible. As you present those things before God and you see the power of God that's able to supply all your needs, your needs don't even seem that important anymore. Praise is a sign. So the presence of praise in your prayer life is a sign that you've got things in perspective. So does your prayer life actually include moments of praise? Because it should. Because as you bow your knees before the God of the universe, He displays Himself, He shows Himself to you as the one who is infinitely able to supply all your needs. Paul has a petition and then he breaks down in praise. And he believes 
This is what is necessary to help the Ephesians to bridge the gap between all the theology that was just given to them into Christian living. So if you're thinking, how can I, there are so many areas in my life, I cannot build that bridge. Paul is saying, ask for God. Ask, ask those things. You've got to ask. They don't come automatically. You've got to make prayer central in your life. But when you do it, open your eyes and lift them up and look at Him who is able and who is willing to do those things in your life. Now, this is important because the, letter of the, the, the rest of the letter to the Ephesians are going to bring some challenges to us. I'm already warning you. Pre-warning, okay? As we go through that, you will see a few things that you're like, whoa. I wasn't aware of that. Or maybe I was aware of that, but I still don't like it. And Paul is saying, if you want to have a successful journey through the rest of the letter to the Ephesians, you have to learn to do this. As you hear those words, you have to bow your knees and say, God, help me. God, help me. And how is God going to help you? By strengthening you and printing more and more Christ in sin. As you hear those bad news or difficult news because you are a sinner, and then God will print more Christ in your heart and will make it more central. It will become more powerful. You're going to experience more the love of God. And then your Christian life will start to grow. Does that make sense? That's the plan. That's what God has for you and for me as we journey through Ephesians. I'm excited for the rest of this letter. I, I truly am. I hope you are as well. But in order to prepare you for that, this message is crucial. This message has to be central in your life and my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
you for watching this video with us today. We are encouraged to hear that uh, many stories of what God's doing through people who've been watching the sermons online and how their lives are being touched by God and transformed through the gospel. So our desire, if that's your story, come and talk to us. We would love to hear more from you. And we would also love to encourage you in your walk with Christ as well. So please talk to us and let us know how we can better serve you and pray for you as well. And now that the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with God's people now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.